Hey, good morning. It's a real joy once again to be back uh, and to bring God's Word to you this morning. Now, you're going to have to pay attention because today I don't have a PowerPoint. So you're going to have to open your Bibles and you're going to have to follow with me in Luke's Gospel. So remember last week, Miriam looked at the phrase, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's from Luke 11. So this, this week, we're going to continue with that theme, but looking at the question, what is intercessory prayer? And what are the principles of intercessory prayer that Jesus teaches us from the Gospel of Luke, in particular Luke chapter 11? Last week, we were reminded that Jesus' disciples saw something very different in Jesus in the way he prayed. They noted his motivation was different, that his attitude was different, that his expectations were different. And in comparison, they felt very dissatisfied with their own prayer lives. And so they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, as you know, the best way to learn something is to be taught. And there are those of us who think, well, I don't really need to learn how to pray. I know how to pray. Isn't that exactly what the disciples might have said? They knew how to pray. They'd been going to the synagogue for years. And yet they saw something different in Jesus' life, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And it's true, perhaps we already know how to pray, and we feel we don't really need to learn anything new. There's nothing new to learn. But I think there's always room for improvement. There's always room for better understanding. Many of you know I love to run. Um, And it's true. Anyone can run, right? Anyone. Toddlers, older ones, not so older ones. Uh, But if you want to improve you want to get the best out of running, then you need to be taught correctly. You have to go back to basics, and that's what I did maybe 20 years or so ago with a coach. And this coach, and I was looking at tutorials, reading up on how to, how to run, went back to basics with barefoot running. And so in the highlands of Scotland, I learned to run barefoot in the snow. I learned to run in the heat, barefoot. Because running barefoot, you run, land on the, the front, the balls of your feet rather than the heels. And you know what? I didn't like it. It was slow training. It was hard training. My times didn't get any better. In fact, for, for a number of weeks and months, they got slower as I transitioned into this new way of running. But you know what the end result was? That I had fewer running injuries. And my race times in marathons jumped up considerably in long-distance running, all because someone taught me the correct way to to run. Um, I knew how to run, but I got so much more enjoyment and fulfillment of learning the correct way. So I had to relearn everything I knew about running to become better at it. So there is room for improvement. Now, can I ask you, let's, let's open our Bibles. You can click, if you have your tablets or phones, to Luke chapter 11. And we're going to read from verse 1. 
I'm reading from the New International Version. Uh, you might have a different version. That's okay. Verse 1, Luke 11. One day, Jesus was preaching or praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children, they're in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? But here in this passage, before Jesus teaches the disciples about intercessory prayer, he teaches them the principles which are found in verses 2 to 4. However, today I want us to start where most of us often start with our prayers if we're honest, with the intercessory part. So let's look from verses 5 to 13 first, and then we're going to go back to verses 2 to 4. So what is intercessory prayer? Well, to understand uh, this part of the parable, if you like, there are three things you need to know first. First, you have to remember, in the first century, food wasn't readily available as it is today. There was no 24-hour 7-Elevens. There was no McDonald's. Back then, bread was baked for each day, and it was eaten on that day. It wasn't kept for the next day. So that's the first thing you need to understand. And secondly, you need to understand that in that climate, it was hot and dusty. So people often started their travels mid-afternoon, 4 o'clock, 5, 6 o'clock. And it would take quite a long time, up until midnight or later, to get to the destination because they traveled in the cool of the evening. So it wasn't uncommon for people to, to arrive late at someone's house. And the third thing you need to remember is that in that, in, in that culture, hospitality was um, essential. It was a shame culture. 
and you didn't turn people away, no matter who they were or what time they arrived at. So let's look, take a, look, a little closer look at this, um, this parable here. Let me just paraphrase it for you so you really, I hope, can grasp it. There's a friend, and he's weary. He's a traveler. He's been traveling from mid, mid-afternoon, let's say, three, four o'clock, and it's now midnight, and he comes to his friend's house because he's hungry. He needs something to eat, and he knocks on the door, and he asks for food. And the friend has nothing to give him. He's prayed in his daily bread. He's eaten it, and there's nothing left. But he knows at the end of the day there's always someone else, a feeding friend, who always at the end of the day has something left over. So we have this needing friend in need of something to eat. But this poor friend has nothing to offer him, but he knows of a feeding friend who can meet his needs. So we have the needing friend representing, we have the pleading friend here, Representing the needing friend before the feeding friend. And that is the ministry of intercession. This is the role of the middleman. He is representing the needing friend before the feeding friend until the supply is released. Or until he gets an answer. And that is the ministry of intercession. The pleading friend knows there is no way it will reach the needing friend, but by him. He is representing the feeding friend, the needing friend before the feeding friend. It is crucial for the extension of God's kingdom. The role of the pleading friend. Now look at verse 7. What does verse 7 say? Look what the feeding friend says to the pleading friend. Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Jesus is saying, which of you would have the nerve or the audacity to wake up his friend and possibly the whole family in the middle of the night to ask for bread? Which of you? And I think even us here in the 21st century can understand his reluctance to help his friend. You know, as parents, we've all wrestled at times to get our kids to bed at night. And once they're in bed, you're not going to let anyone disturb them, right? The last thing you want is for them to be disturbed by someone knocking on the door. And in Jesus' day, you know, all the family often slept in one room. So to see his friend, to see to his friend's needs, it would have meant disturbing the whole family. And in this parable, Jesus said to the reluctant feeding friend, or he said in the parable, Jesus said the reluctant feeding friend got up and he gave his friend some bread for one reason only. Do you see? It was the persistence. It was the persistence of the pleading friend making that request. Now, understand this. Jesus is not comparing God to a grouchy, sleepy selfish and angry friend but no he's contrasting the two jesus is telling the disciples that if a friend can on the basis of friendship and social etiquette be persuaded through persistence to meet the need of a friend how much more will your father in heaven 
meet the needs of his children. Now, the Greek word here, uh, translated as persistence, is only used once in the New Testament. So you might want to underline that, because the word carries the idea of shamelessness. And I think the, the NIV has captured it nicely these days by using the phrase shameless audacity. The man has come who came making the request was shameless in his persistence, continuing his pleading until his friend responded. And Jesus is saying we can be just as shamelessly persistent in our prayers to God. We need to be bold. Now, analogies break down, and I think Jesus Christ recognized this, and so he, he introduces us here to the Father who loves to give. He says, ask, seek, knock. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said, whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. Now, you guys, you're probably like me. You don't really like asking for help. Certainly when you're out trying to find somewhere or navigate, you know, I quite enjoy the challenge of sticking to my map or the GPS rather than stop the car and say, I'm lost. Asking is the rule of the kingdom. And we see this in, in this paragraph. You know, if, if we look at how a, a parent and a child relate to each other, we can see how God wants us to relate to him. You know, why should we ask God for things when he already knows what we need? Have you ever, have you ever asked yourself that? Why should I ask God for something I already need? He knows what I need. And I think the straightforward answer is that God likes to be asked. You know, I like it, you like it, I'm sure, when your children ask you for things. Because the very asking enhances and deepens that relationship. Now, let me say prayer again. It's not an obligation. It's not something we have to do. But it's about a relationship. You know, when I care about somebody, I want to give them far more than, than that's in, within my capacity to give. And the only way to do that is to ask the Father to do that for them. Let me come back to the question. What is intercession? Well, intercession, very simply, is where an individual or a group of individuals position themselves between two parties, one with a need and one with the answer. And he seeks to bring the two parties together. And this is the pleading friend representing the needing friend before the feeding friend until the supply is released. It's crucial for the extension of the kingdom of God. Let's go back to our passage. Look at verse 9. Asking. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Now asking, as I just reiterated to it, it involves humility. Um, to ask is very simple. It's what a child does best. You simply take courage and you ask. 
I'm asking us what street children do. They're unashamed and are willing to ask or beg for money. Um, some of you have seen this in some of the other developing countries. As we lived in Chad, uh, we lived in a very poor area. And as soon as we went out of the front gate, we had beggars on the streets. And we had four or five of them, and they, they put the small silver bowls, and they've got a coin, and they tap it. They just tap, 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 tap. Give me, give me, give me, give me a coin, give me a coin. And they follow you to the market. And if you don't give them something, they just keep following and following and following. They're courageous, they're bold, and they're asking. They're not ashamed. And I think Jesus is saying, we need to ask boldly, like a beggar, coming to the Father. Promise is very simple. Ask, and you will receive. What does it say next? Seeking, seek, and you will find. Seeking is stronger than asking. There's participation in it. It's asking and it's acting. There's a deeper level, yeah, a deeper level of prayer than simply just asking. You know, when you're seeking something, you're rearranging your priorities. In order to do so, you know, you're actively doing something. You think of the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians uh, 12. We learn about he had a a thorn in the flesh. I don't know what it was. But three times he asked the Lord to remove it. And three times the Lord said, no. But he kept on asking. He kept on seeking. And finally God said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And God never removed the thorn, but he did give Paul an answer. Wasn't the answer he was looking for. Nonetheless, Paul was able to put it to rest. And the answer to Paul's prayer was a result of going beyond asking. It was seeking repeatedly. What about knocking? It's asking. It's acting. And I want to say it's persevering. It's a little bit further. There's more participation. It's seeking entrance. To knock means to stand at the door and repeatedly bang with your knuckles. You know, this is what it's like. First, you give a light knock, which consists, yeah, just of a couple of raps. And you get no answer. Then you lock, knock a little louder, don't you? And you mutter to yourself, I know you're in there. You've been there? I think many of us um, can identify with this, can't we? You know, if you're on the inside, you know how annoying it can be when someone's at your front door knocking. And they keep knocking, and it gets louder. And the, you know they're listening to see if they can hear your voices. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. It means praying when there's no immediate answer. If you pray like this, you must really want entry. So hold, let's hold those thoughts together. Now, in order for our Lord to open up to us, he uses uh, the he uses relationships that we understand 
So, for example, he talks about the father and the son. He talks about the relationship of a parent to a child. He talks about the relationship of a husband and a wife. But the relationship that the Lord is talking about in this passage is the friend-friend relationship. And it's through the friend-friend relationship he's showing the disciples the aspect of partnership. It's what a partnership. And through intercessory prayer, it comes to fruition. Partnership with God in advancing the kingdom of God. Remember John 15, 15. It says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And there's the partnership relationship. God, in one sense, is saying, I'm the senior partner and you're the junior partner. You find out what I want to do and you ask me. It's this partnership. God, God could do it, but he's asked to partner with us. He wants us involved in the extension of his kingdom here on earth. It's a partnership relationship, advancing the kingdom of God. Therefore, intercessory prayer is important. It's saying, Lord, I want to do what you've been doing. I want to do what you're doing. And Jesus gives them this picture that we've just talked about about intercessory prayer, being a pleading friend, representing the needing friend, before the feeding friend. And that is how God's kingdom is going to grow. And the pleading friend, representing the needing friend, before the feeding friend. And so he comes to the end of this parable in verse 10. And he turns to his disciples and he says, now you ask, you enter into that partnership relationship and you will receive those thoughts, we're going to come back to that, but let's go back to the beginning of the passage. Let's go back to verses 2. We're going to look at the principles of intercessory prayer now. Father, hallowed be your name. First principle of intercessory prayer is worship. Father, hallowed be your name. Our Father, it's an introduction to worship. Miriam and I, over many years, 20-plus years, have done a lot of traveling. And it's meant at times we've had to leave our children behind with grandparents or with friends. When they were young, we would come back from a, uh, maybe a Central Asian country, an interesting country, and uh, we'd come in, to the, in through the front door and all of a sudden, you would get, Mummy, Daddy. And there's something in their voice, in that four or five-year-old's voice, says, drop your bags. Drop your bags. Because you know they're going to jump up. And they're going to cuddle you. They're going to hug you. Daddy. Our Father. Father. When our Father hears Father, I believe he's expecting worship. Worship. Father, hallowed be your name. Now, when our kids got older, you can imagine, you'd come through the front door and they shout, Daddy. Well, they'd say, Mummy, Daddy, did you bring me anything? It changes, doesn't it, as we get older? 
and, and your heart sinks because you're longing for the embrace. You're longing for that fellowship, that, that love, that bond. And it's the same with our Father. When he hears, Father, he's not, us, he's not expecting us to go straight into plead, pleading and asking. I believe he's expecting worship. Learn to worship. That's the first principle. Learn to worship more. It's a priority for God's holiness. In its original language, it means sanctify your name. Become famous for who you are. Reveal your name. But so often, we're tempted to go into petition straight after worship as well. So the first principle is worship. Second principle, I suggest, if you want another W, is warfare. Desiring God's kingdom before our daily bread. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. I'm sure most of you have heard of Max Licardo. Uh, in one of his books, he writes this. We typically say our prayers as casually as we'd order a burger at the drive through I'll have one solved problem and two blessings Cut the hassle, please. In the chapter, he's saying, it's not a case of God, you are awesome. Now give me, give me, give me. Now, of course, we should bring our petitions before God. But that's not where we start. You know, when Jesus came, he established his kingdom here on earth. However, it's not fully established yet. It's only when he comes again will it be fully established. So the kingdom of God has come. And the kingdom of God is coming. And we live in this tension, this in-between time, between the establishment of God's kingdom and the consummation of God's kingdom. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're not asking for the already part. We're looking forward to the not yet part. And in this part of the prayer, we are saying we are committed to doing what God wants instead of what I want to do. God's will before my will. We're praying, you know, come, come Lord Jesus, come my King. Be present in my family, be present in my office, be present in my, my marriage, be present in my relationship with my children and with, and with my work colleagues. Be present in Singapore, be present in South Asia and Southeast Asia and in every tongue and tribe and nation. That's what we're praying here. Your kingdom come. It's embracing the kingdom of God in every aspect of our lives. We're saying whatever God wants comes first, even if that means hardship for us. Lord, we want to do what you're doing. Worship into warfare. Desiring God's kingdom to come before our daily bread. So Jesus here is giving them a sense of priority, isn't he? His kingdom before their needs. Lord, what do you want to do next in PPH? In Taban Gardens? In the community center? Who do you want me to invite to the Alpha course? Find out what God wants to do and then pray for it. That's the partnership relationship. So the principles of intercession so far are worship, 
into warfare. And then thirdly, I suggest another W, welfare. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Jesus urges us to pray regularly and repeatedly. Every day we are to ask for our daily bread. Now note the double emphasis. Every day our daily bread. It's not weekly, it's not monthly, but daily. And you might be sitting here this morning thinking, well, why can't we just treat uh, prayer like worship, you know, on a Sunday morning? Just come on a Sunday morning, I sing half a dozen songs, and, um, and then say, Lord, see you next week. But in the meantime, just take care of me for the next seven days, will you? Some of us are like that. Why daily? Well, I think, you know, God wants to hear from us daily. It's as simple as that. You know, as you know, we have three children. All three of them live in Scotland. Um, and I love it. We love it when they check in with us. Uh, and it can be painful when they don't check in for a few days. Um, we're, we're concerned. We're wondering what they're doing. And I think some of you know what I'm talking about because you also have children who are abroad or studying elsewhere, and you're separated. And it can be painful if they're not checking in regularly. And you long to hear from them. You want to know what's going on. It helps soothe the pain that's in our hearts at times on those low days. And so we, ha- we hunger for them. You know, often, when my wife's phone buzzes, you know, I'm, if it's 7 o'clock at night, I know my children are awake, and I'm, and I'm curious, who's, who's buzzing you? You know, who's, who's texting you? And I often say, who's that? And if she says it, oh, it's Angeline or Sekiat or Margaret or, you know, one of the CG group, I'm, well, I'm not really interested. I'm sorry, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but if she says, oh, it's Lucy or Jake or Josh, I say, oh, are they okay? Have they sent news? Have they sent a photo? You know, I want to know what's going on in their lives. I want to be connected to them. Do they need anything? And that's, that's the kind of relationship it is. And that, I think that's how God feels about us. He longs for us to check in daily with him. He wants us to rely on him for our daily needs and seek his help in times of difficulties, in times of trouble, in times of crises. And he wants to hear our praises and, yeah, and our thanks. And I think, he just, I think he genuinely does miss us in that sense when we're not checking in daily. You know, and the phrase here, daily bread, referred to so much more than food. You see, in those days, many people were high on a day-to-day basis. So when you ask God for your daily food, you are asking also for daily work. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Now, how many of you here have children who disobey you? Yes? If you're sitting next to a parent and don't have their hands up, then you have my permission to call them a liar, okay? (laughs) When our kids disobey us, do we disown them? We don't, do we? 
However, however, we expect them to, to apologize or to ask for forgiveness. Because un, unless they do so, there's an atmosphere in the home. The relationship is kind of broken. It's soured. Well, it's the same with our Heavenly Father. Now, as Christians, when we sin, he doesn't disown us. We're still his children. He still loves us. But our present relationship with him has been, yeah, it suffers. And so we need to ask for forgiveness. And note here, there's a condition for forgiveness. We must forgive those who sin against us. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now this word for lead, it's an interesting word. It's not the kind of leading from when a general directs his troops from the safety of a hill. It's more like the shepherd boy getting alongside the sheep, going on the, the difficult paths around the mountain, carrying his sheep at times. You know, one of my favorite movies is... Um, Saving Private Ryan. Some of you will know it. It's a war movie. Um, it's set in, in it to do with the invasion of Normandy in World War II. And what comes to mind in this movie is that it's John Miller. He's the captain, Tom Hanks, played by Tom Hanks. And he leads his unit by example. His men, yeah, they're, they're trying to find a, a private named Ryan to take him home. But Tom Hanks, John Miller, takes his troops with him, and he fights alongside them. He's carrying them at times. He's pulling them out of difficulty. He's one of them. And to me, the story is an illustration of the way the Lord leads us when we face difficulties and trials and battles and temptation with evil. He leads with us. You know, and at times it feels like he's carrying us. You know, the word we often translate as temptation in this verse, is the Greek word perimus, perimus. And perimus can be translated into two, in two ways. It can mean a test or trial or a temptation or enticement. And the proper translation depends on the context in which the, the word is used. And it's, it's the same in English, isn't it? We have lots of different words that um, can mean more than one thing. You know, for example, yesterday, Miriam and I, I was reminded of this yesterday. We walked along um, the Pandan Gardens and we passed the Sheng Hong Temple and there was a statue of a crane bird on top. But I was just looking the other side of the water, the river, the cranes were all working away. And I suddenly thought, well, I'm craning my neck to watch this. So the context here, you, you don't, you know, if I'm talking about, oh, Miriam, you're craning your neck, or Miriam cranes her neck, watching the crane over here, or watching the crane here. You don't know which crane I'm talking about. It's the context that gives you the true meaning and the definition of the word here. And it's the same with this word, this Greek word here, peramos. But I want you to understand here, the two translations, trials and enticements or temptations, are very closely related. Because usually when we face a trial or an ordeal, I don't know about you, but I'm often tempted to do the wrong thing under tests. Um, when I'm going through times of testing and trials, I do the wrong thing often. 
And so I need to be delivered from evil, delivered from temptation. I need the Lord's helping there. It's a reminder that we need to say, Father, I'm in trouble. I'm weak. I can't do this on my own. I need your help. But often I take those shortcuts. Well, let me conclude. So what is the takeaway I think I want you to take today? Well, intercessory prayer. What is intercessory prayer? You knew this already, but I'm reminding you this morning. Intercessory is where, intercession is where an individual or a group of individuals position themselves between two parties, one with a need and one with the answer, and seeks to bring the two parties together. Again, asking implies humility. It's asking with boldness. Seeking is asking and acting. Knocking is asking and seeking and persevering. Very simply, the principles of intercessory prayer are found in this disciples' prayer. Worship is the first principle. Warfare, the second principle. And welfare, the third principle. Now let me just say, these, I believe this is just a template. It's a guide to help us. It's not set in stone. You'll look at the Matthews uh, 6 version. It's, very, it's a little bit different, and you should look at the two of them. So I believe this is, these are just principles that we follow. You remember when Peter uh, tried to walk on water, and he failed? He began to sink. What was his prayer? Remember three words. Lord, save me. And Jesus heard his prayer and came to his rescue. Imagine if Peter had started, Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. If he'd have started like that, he'd have been three meters under, blowing bubbles. So this is really just, I believe, principles for us to follow. It's a guide to help us. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the musicians to come back and lead us in a closing song. And as they do that, let, let, let's just pray uh, this prayer found in Luke 11. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And now just in the silence, let God's Spirit speak to you. Maybe there's a pain in your heart because of something a friend or a co-worker or a brother or sister has said to you or a parent. Even a teacher, a pastor has said to you and you need it to find it in your heart to forgive just as the Lord forgives you. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Amen. And I will give Stand. thanks to Thee. Let's rise. Thank you. Oh Lord, among the people.